Hi, this is Jamie Benning. This is the Filmumentaries podcast. Thank you for joining me again. This is episode 14, and this time I speak to stunt performer Ben Dimmock. Ben and I have been hoping to catch up for a few weeks now, and we were able to do it in the week leading up to Christmas. It's actually Christmas Eve today. We've watched The Muppet Christmas Carol five days in a row with my daughter, and uh, yeah, the Christmas spirit is flowing. The vegetables have been chopped. The bird is in the oven already. We're, we're cooking it all today, so tomorrow we can just have a nice chill and enjoy some family time, albeit over our webcam software of choice. So let's get into the interview here. This is Ben and I chatting just a couple of days ago about his career in the film and TV industry. He's worked on some quite big films, including Mission Impossible, Captain America, and on some of the Bourne stuff with Matt Damon. I hope you enjoy it, and I'll be back at the end for a bit more jabbering on. Question that I always ask people, of course, is that a, is that a typical one? What initially attracted you to to doing stunt work was because obviously I think we're of a similar-ish age. I think you're probably a bit younger, but that's very kind. We probably grew up watching <laughs> the same television and films uh, as kids. It was that was that a big influence on you? For for me, it was. Um, I always had uh, an interest in bikes when I was a uh, a kid, and my my earliest memory is is at nursery school. Um, fighting over a little tricycle, and you know, I just <laughs> anything with wheels, I absolutely love it. Um, and uh, I started saving from a very young age to get my first motocross bike, and I, I got that when I was about eleven or twelve years old. Um, um, but going down the stunt route, it was watching programs in the seventies and eighties, like you say, it's 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 mm-hmm. all that cheesy American stuff, the the Fall Guy and Dukes of Hazard and. Um, the A Team and all that kind of film. Street Hawk was another one, um, and I just thought, oh, that looks like fun, uh, particularly the Fall Guy. And I thought, yeah, I think that's what I want to do. And so that that was sort of like I was about six or seven when that was on, um, and that was it. I just wanted to. I thought, yeah, that's it. I want to be a stuntman. So that that's how that's where it all started from. Yeah, because back in those days, in the seventies and eighties, like you say, the Fall Guy. There was also the uh, Burt Reynolds. What was that film called about the stuntman? Well, there was um, uh, the Hooper. Hooper. Yeah. yeah. I mean. We knew what a stuntman was. It yeah. was probably one of the few jobs that people knew about filmmaking, TV making, other than camera operator yeah. and actor that you could go and do. So, yeah, because I think of some of those like old documentaries of you'd see on a Saturday afternoon on the TV about the latest stunt in a James Bond film or an Indiana Jones film. And yeah. some of those names, I can think, you know, Glenn Randall and Vic Armstrong and yeah. uh, um, Martin Grace and all those guys. Yeah, I mean they were sort of people. They're legends. That, you know, and, and you looked up to. They were they were legends of, yeah, of their industry, and they? and they were kind of famous in their own right, really. Um, but I, I I never wanted to be famous. I just wanted to crash cars and drive things fast and jump over stuff. And <laughs> and um, you know that was the interest for me. Um, I I knew nothing about the money. I didn't have any idea of how much stunt people and I wasn't drawn for the money. I was drawn because I wanted to. Do cool stuff on my um, on my on my bike. Really, that was that was the draw for me. Yeah, I think you know, as a kid, I you know, I had a BMX. All my mates had BMXs. We'd make ramps, and a couple of them went on to motocross. And 
competed in motocross. I sort of never went down the road. I think I just sort of lost my bottle <laughs> too early on. That's that's the thing that amazes me about stunt performers is I know as a, as a kid and as a teenager and maybe as a young adult, you've still got that bit of bravado and you think you can kind of do anything and you're you know, invincible. But when you get to a certain age, those things kind of start creeping in, those doubts start yeah. creeping in. How do, you, how do you sort of keep on top of those well, I mean, those thoughts? The, the, the process to becoming a, um, a stunt performer in the UK, there's a, we have the British Stunt Register, which I'm, I'm actually on the committee for. Um, but we set out guidelines basically telling people to get qualified in six different sports. Um, and that's all to a very high level. It's kind of almost to instructor level in a lot of them. And having that background gives you the the skills, if you like, which mean that you can you can then take that to stunt work. Having those skills doesn't mean you you can do stunt work. What it means is you've got a good grounding and you can pull on those skills when you're put in an awkward situation or a situation where you think this is a bit tricky. How might I get around this? And that's when you draw on the skills that you learn as um, you know when you're training to join the stunt register. So and, and then when you obviously there's a process. Then when we do a stunt, it's not not just uh, right. Let's go and chuck yourself off a building on fire. It's not quite that simple. You know you'll build up to it and you'll rehearse it and we will rehearse it in, in a really safe manner. And, and everything we do is very safe. And, and people quite often think that um, stunt people are all brain dead neanderthals and and it's really not the case at all you know there's a, there's a lot of health and safety in what we do um but but basically so, so to in answer to your question it, it's it's the six skills that you learn um before you join the stunt register which give you a, give you your uh, basis for doing the uh, doing the stunt mm. and so do you therefore like end up with almost like a, a cv or a resume of all the sort of key skills that you have as a as a stunt performer yeah absolutely yeah yeah yeah, so when you join the stunt register, the um, you, you'll find a lot of people have got a background in something, um, and gymnastics, free running, martial arts are the the three popular ones that that everyone seems to, or a lot of people come from. But my background, obviously, was motocross. Uh, but then yeah. the six skills I actually did to join the stunt register were uh, gymnastics, fencing, trampolining, jiu-jitsu, scuba diving, and swimming. And then motocross was my kind of background that I had but it was such a grey area as to what the qualification was I thought I'm just going to do what's written down in black and white and have motocross as my thing and then when I joined the register I got known for riding bikes I used to go out riding with other stunt people and you know and you get known for riding a bike and then you start getting getting work in that sort of field yeah so that that's kind of how it all progresses really and what was your first gig then as a as a paid stunt performer and what was that like was it a pretty nerve-wracking experience it was uh i'd done probably about five or six years as um an extra uh which gave me a good uh, a good idea of what happens on set so I, I was i was kind of comfortable with that but then when you're suddenly put in the hot seat and you realize the camera is absolutely 100 percent focused on you and your performance and it's not just a case of throwing yourself downstairs you've got to do it in a way that looks like the actor you're doubling so i don't remember being particularly nervous about my first job it was it was quite simple it was a it was a sky tv show called the site and i was doubling andrew mccarthy who was uh, one of the Brat Pack um, mm, back in I the eighties, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was doubling him, and I literally just had to jump down a manhole onto a platform about eight feet below, and then jump off of that onto a crash mat. It was a very straightforward thing, and I don't remember particularly being nervous about it, but uh, it was quite exciting. Just doing—it's not the sort of thing you do, and it's—it's um, <laughs> it's great to 
you know, it's great to sort of see that you get to see some fantastic places when you're when you're working. As much as you, you know, you probably know the same. It's yeah, yeah, it's a big part of the job, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, but no, I, I wasn't particularly nervous, but I certainly have been apprehensive, should we say? Not nervous, but apprehensive about mm-hmm. doing stuff. And that's that's again when you pull fall back onto the skills you learnt when you were training, and um, uh, um, and you draw on that, and that's what gets you through things. Yeah, it's about channeling that adrenaline, yeah. I guess, isn't it? I mean, you know, my job in live television obviously doesn't compare, but I'm going to compare it in as much as, you know, you're nervous about like the start of a race, it's all happening, yeah. there's 20 engines roaring and you've got to do your bit right. Yeah, you and don't want to miss the shot, You've just got that you? moment to do it. You don't want to miss it. Yeah. And you've got the pressure of a whole crew looking at you. You know, yeah. everything's focused on you for that moment. You mentioned there actually about um, with Andrew McCarthy you know, you're sort of replacing him and, and being him in that scene. Do you do you study the people you are doing stunts for yeah. when you're doubling for somebody to try and get their movements and, and, and you know, make it more authentic? Yeah, absolutely. You, you have to, um, quite often, if, if there's a shot leading up to what they're doing, they might have been shot in the leg or they might have been punched in the ribs. And so you have to match that. So you'll watch whatever they've shot leading up to that and then you have to match that... Um, uh, you know, as much as as much as you can, wh- which will enable you to do the action safely as well. Because you know, sometimes you you might need two legs to jump off, but if you've been shot in one and you can't use it, it's right. Okay, how do we do it? Or you just have to kind of do it, and then you change your camera angle slightly to um, you know to it's 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 the illusion, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. I, talking of the illusion, then, like you've got, I suppose, since you've been in the industry, we've gone through the process of stunt performers being on screen and their faces being on screen and maybe trying to hide their face or you know wearing a prosthetic or a makeup but of course now cgi face replacement is doing a big job particularly on those big big budget movies how has that changed things i mean i know there's a lot of actors out there who say they like to do their own stunts there are obviously some in particular we can think of um tom cruise being one of them but with the face replacement why why are they still keen to do those stunts why don't they let the the person who's trained to do it do it and then have their face put on them? Is it is it just a is it just say, an ego thing? Yeah, exactly. I think it's yeah. ego sometimes. Yeah, you'll get a um, you'll get some actors who are quite uh, quite happy to say stunt people did it all. Um, equally, some of them like to do it as well. And and you know, as a as a coordinator, you want to get them to do it, do as much as they can because it's they enjoy doing it. But you you need to be able to get get them to do it safely. Like you say, face replacement is is fantastic now. And I mean, I think there's even um, there's there's videos on YouTube where amateurs are doing it, and you cannot tell. You know, it's, yeah, it, yeah. it's amazing what you can do now with with quite basic software. Um, and of course, the the VFX departments have oh, I, you know, amazing software. You cannot tell. Uh, so face replacement's great, but yeah, some actors are um, sometimes it, it is ego that takes over. <laughs> mm, yeah, and I guess it, it, it can be born out of wanting it to be entirely authentic. Because I guess even though the effects can be fantastic, you do have your doubts. You know, you think that was never so and so. So maybe that's something to do with just having that authenticity. Thinking about like some of the movies I grew up with, like Indiana Jones and the Star Wars movies, I know that Harrison Ford. You know, one of his doubles, um, Vic Armstrong, had a, an amazing likeness to him at the time. There are some photos of them side by side on on the Temple of Doom and Last Crusade sets, I think, where 
I think there were stories that, you know, Spielberg went and tapped Vic Armstrong on the shoulder to give him the new script for that morning. And, oh, no, it's you, Vic, sorry. Because um, you've doubled, doubled for somebody that you, you bear a likeness to, haven't you, Matt Damon? How did that come about? Yeah, uh, well, I, um, I remember I was, I was working on Born Ultimatum um, and we were out in Madrid and I was, I was actually, I was driving a police car. It wasn't anything to do with doubling Matt. Um, and I remember sitting in a trailer one day, uh, there was a few of us sitting in there and, and someone walked in and they kind of looked at me and did a double take. And I, I hadn't realised, um, it, it never crossed my mind that I ever looked like him. Um, weirdly, after that, I came home and my kids were kind of two, three years old at the time. And one of them picked up Born Supremacy or Born Identity DVD. And there was a picture of Matt on the back of it, and he pointed at it and said, "It's Daddy." And I thought, huh. oh, "That's weird." And I looked at it and thought, "Yeah, I can sort of see a likeness there." And it was about yeah. three or four months later they were doing reshoots on Born, uh, Born Ultimatum, and they said, "Oh, we we want you to double someone on the film." I said, "Okay, no worries." I went in, and it turned out they wanted me to double Matt, um, and it was great. So I only did the reshoots on Born Ultimatum, um, but then from that I went on to double him on uh, Green Zone and Jason Bourne and I'd had calls to double him on oh, The Great Wall. I went out and went out to China for a while but I had to come back for personal reasons so I didn't actually carry on with that. Um, but yeah, so that that's... that that. But I had a similar thing to what you were just saying about Vic. I was leaving stage one day at Shepparton on Bourne Ultimatum uh, dressed, as, dressed as Jason Bourne. A car came racing up behind me bibbed the horn and he said Matt Matt jump in and uh, it was actually Matt's driver who thought I was Matt Damon and he because he was worried that he just he was walking back to his trailer on his own but it was actually me um yeah but they they, when we've done some of the Bourne films um you know they can they can shoot on almost like almost like two-thirds of my face from behind kind of thing because the likeness was so good. Yeah, there is a, definitely an approximation there. Like I'm looking at you now, and I can see that from certain angles, there yeah, could definitely that's it. be a, yeah. you could easily be mistaken for him. Uh, doing going from you know, like you said, driving a police car like an anonymous character to then being, you know, the the, the stunt double for the the main character. Mm. That must be a, a big step up in terms of expectation as well as yeah, um, your keenness to do a good job. Yeah, it is. I, I guess the um... There's always a, a a pressure on performing stunts, um, but also there, I, I'd like to say as well, there were two or three doubles. I wasn't the the only double. Yeah, um, yeah, that's it, often the case, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. Because there's people who are specialists in different areas. Um, there was one scene on uh, Born Ultimatum where at the end of the film, we uh, he jumps off the roof of the hospital and falls in the water, and myself and there was another stunt guy, good friend of mine, Aaron Topham, um, we were both doubling Matt uh, and we both rehearsed the full but Aaron actually ended up doing it. Uh, yeah, there is a, it is an additional pressure because obviously it's the it's number one on the call sheet and, and you want to you want to sort of step up and you want to be as you know as good as you need to be to to sell the sell the film really. Yeah, so there is quite a bit of pressure there. Do you get to therefore be around on set a bit more when you're, you know, doubling for the main character, or are you just called upon as and when your shots are, are being set up and it, things like it's, that? It's a bit of both, really. Um, if if he's just doing, uh, you know, a dialogue scene with another actor, then you wouldn't really be around. If he's doing something where maybe he's crawling around on the ground, you might be there. 
and it, it's, it shatters the illusion, but you might be there just to hand him a knee pad or something like that. It's, yeah, it can actually yeah. be quite, quite boring at times, but mm-hmm. then the stunts you do get to do are usually a bit more spectacular than taking a bullet hit and falling over in the background. You know, you could be actually falling off of things, crashing cars and, and doing all that sort of, you know, the, the more fun stuff. So it's, you know, there's swings and roundabouts really. Yeah. I guess as well with doing these stunts is you, you know, in terms of budget, you're trying to do them on the first take quite often, particularly if it's involving a vehicle and you've got to ditch a bike or something or a car is going over. Um, How do you therefore rehearse for something like that? Um, Well, if you're doing, you're absolutely right. Yeah, if you're doing something where stuff's going to get wrecked, then unless you've got replacements of it, you've generally got one go at it. So if you're doing, for example, you want to do a T-bone in a car, so you want to drive one car into the side of another, you'll rehearse it, rehearse it, rehearse it, right up to the point of impact, and then you'll just stop. And then you go, okay, this is the one, we're going to do the take. Camera positions, of all, you know, everyone's got their cameras in the right position, everyone knows where you're going to be, what the timing is, and then you'll do it, and then to get that impact, you just won't break, and you'll just plough the car into the side of the other car and just hope that every everyone was rolling and uh, you know they they got the shot so it's it's just all about rehearsal and um, and planning yeah. really getting that kind of muscle memory and that repetition exactly. yeah exactly yeah 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 do you 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 obviously work as um a stunt coordinator as well as a stunt performer um and does that mean that you you know you have a team there of stunt performers do you, does it mean that you they they try and compete to get the best stunt or or is there, you know, is it a team effort and you're sharing things out, yeah, or is it, it pre-decided, or do I you think, decide that as the coordinator? Yeah, as, as the coordinator, you 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 pick the best person for the job. Um, yeah, and it, I mean, it's very busy in the UK as well at the moment. So of course, there's uh, getting the right person. Sometimes, you know, it's it, not compromised, but of course, maybe your first choice isn't available. But, sure. Yeah. No, there's not so much competition between between guys because they'll. You know, when you've got a big team on something and there's lots to do, you'll kind of try and spread the love a little bit, and so everyone gets a go at something. Um, yeah, but it's all about choosing the right person for the job, who's got the right skills, and you know, who, who's going to um, who's going to be able to give you the best performance. Really, how much of a pressure is there to sort of find something that hasn't been done before? Does that come, you know, like to do a stunt that's going to kind of blow away people? Does that come from the filmmakers, or do you guys? And girls kind of say, "Well, look, actually, we could do this. This would step things up a bit." Is there a, is there a challenge to do that there, for you? There's a little bit of both there. The obviously the um, yeah the filmmakers will have their vision of what they want to see, um, and then we can look at it. We can look at previews. We can look at storyboards, and we can go, "Okay, yeah, that that's that's achievable." Or how are we going to do that? It might involve some wires. It might involve uh, specialist vehicles. It might involve vehicle prep. Um, and then, and then we can put a creative spin on it as well to see if we can get just something a bit more. Quite often, it, you know, the director will say, "No, this is what I want, and this is how how I want to do it." So we just yeah. go go with that. But we we're always there trying to give our our input as well um, to make things look a bit more spectacular, or we're trying to give the director what he wants really. So, how early do you um, get involved in the creative process? Because you talked about storyboards there. So yeah, so we can. It really again. This is uh, um, it yeah. depends on whether it's TV, film, big budget film, low budget film. It can be um, as a performer, you really don't know much about it until you turn up and and in TV, it's like we're going to do a car turnover, and you don't really know anything about it until you get there and and see it. Yeah. On film, you can get 
months of rehearsal for for stuff. Um, as far as coordinating goes, you'll tend to there'll already be a script, um, and you'll get a script, and then you just have to go through that and break it down to see. Uh, basically, for budget reasons, really, to see how much things are going to cost, and you sort of give it your your best guess. You know where it says, I don't know, guy walks into a restaurant and there's a fight, so you think. Okay, so you're going to need two people for the fight, but then are there any? Is there anyone else involved? Is there people getting thrown across the bar? Is there tables getting smashed? Do I need another six performers for that? So it's that sort of process you have to go through as a coordinator. But then that can get toned down, or it can be made. It can be scaled up. It's it, yeah. um, you know it's 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 fairly early on we get involved really. Mm. Yeah, because I wonder. My question really was wondering about whether you know if you if you're involved early the director therefore can sort of change a scene based on what you can offer. Oh yeah, absolutely yeah. that can happen. The job I'm on at the moment, um, I'm actually assistant coordinator on, on this one, but the, the I was in a meeting um, where the coordinator, there was a, a, a previs that was being shown and the coordinator said, oh, but at this point, how about we, we do this? Uh, and the director said, yeah, that's brilliant, we can do that. So they changed the previs to do to what the coordinator was actually his idea so yeah so we're definitely involved in in all that and and things can be changed yeah absolutely I, I was laughing at um another interview you did on the the stunt pod when you were talking about um a gig you got where you had to go to Jamie Oliver's place oh, and, yeah. and, and go on a bike and how quickly that, <laughs> that escalated that, well that's a prime example of turning up yeah and uh, everything just blows out of proportion I mean it was literally a, an advert for his tv show uh, and the the whole sort of premise of it was they wanted to Jamie Oliver was stripping everything back to basics, just doing good simple cooking without all the gimmicks. And of course, it starts off with him pulling a leek out of or carrots out of his vegetable bed, and then he walks through his garden. And in the background, there's explosions and chefs running around, and and it, you know it's all about the the gimmick. But when I turned up, I thought I was going to be running. One of the guys running around in the background, falling over or taking a reaction from an explosion. Um, and then a motorbike turned up. Uh, and someone said, oh, motorbike, Ben, you, you ride bikes, don't you? I said, yeah, I can ride that. And next thing I'm jumping over a wall and, uh, oh, someone's going to be on the back. Oh, you're going to be on fire. He's going to be carrying a jam tart. There's an explosion going. And I thought, well, this is this has got a bit bigger than I thought. And uh, But it was absolutely fantastic. I loved that day. It was only one day filming, but it was um, yeah. really good fun. I, I absolutely loved it. Can that be quite typical in television then that suddenly you're just required to do, you know, a dozen more things than it looked like on paper just because of the sort of immediacy of turnaround, I guess, with TV uh, is what I'm thinking Yeah, I, it doesn't happen often. I mean, quite often they'll know, but that that's where the coordinator can... The, the thing is, directors always want to hear yes, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. but there's always a but. <laughs> anything yeah, is yeah. possible with the right amount of time and money. You know, it's, it's yeah. anything is possible. But if you want something to happen in two hours, but we're really going to need two weeks prep for it, then the answer is unfortunately going to be no. But um, you always you always say yes, and then you try and work out how you how you can make something happen. But um, yeah, I mean that that Jamie Oliver, it, it was fairly straightforward, really. But it it just went from sort of falling just over in the background. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to suddenly, uh, I think I sent you a picture actually of that Jamie Oliver. The, yes, the, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll put that on the on the website as <laughs> yeah. well because it's a good fun one. Um, you're you're trying to work out how long a stunt is going to take to achieve. I guess that's part of your job as coordinator. You're you know you're saying we need X amount of hours or days to to achieve this. 
But there's so many other factors to consider, aren't there? I mean, you know, you've got the actors might be involved for part of it. There's multiple camera setups. It's it, it can get pretty complex, can't it? I mean, some of those stunts that you would have been involved in in Mission Impossible: Rogue Nation, you can I can look at stunts from like the 80s and go, oh, I can kind of see how they did that. On some of those stunts, you think, how the bloody hell did they pull that off? And there is a sort of secretive nature to your work as well, isn't there? You want to kind of hide. You don't want to explain it all away to people because yeah. you want to keep a bit of that mystique. There, there is that thing, isn't there? You think that cannot be real. And but yes. and I think people kind of maybe part of the audience dismiss it and go, oh, "It's probably just it's just CGI," you know, like we do now with effects. But there's still so much physicality to what you do. Yeah, absolutely. And and um, I mean, Mission Impossible was I'd have done that job for free. It was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> I loved it. It was um, it was riding motorbikes with my mates. We were crashing stuff, riding fast round streets and um, skidding bikes around and doing jumps, riding down steps, crashing into cars. It was just absolutely... Where was, was that it, based? Um, I did a couple of weeks in Vienna, which was uh, not, it wasn't actually part of the bike chase itself, but it was, the, um, uh, it was when they were doing the stuff at the, over at the Opera House out in Vienna, yeah. uh, but I was riding a police bike and then a car blows up and we had to crash the bikes behind. But then the main bike chase itself was actually done in Morocco. We were in Casablanca, right. we were in yeah. the Bat, yeah. um, uh, up in the Atlas Mountains. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was fantastic. It was it was such a such a good fun job. Um, but I mean, the, the, the thing with the mission films is they've got a massive budget. You know, it was like you crashed a bike. It's like, okay, get another one in, and they you just go and get another bike. And it was <laughs> really, you know, and these were brand new BMW racing bikes, and, and no, you know, that it was fantastic. But what well, one of the stunts I did in there was um, we're chasing Tom Cruise. He's driving a silver M3 BMW, and there's three or four of us chasing him. He pulls the, pulls the handbrake up, does a ninety degree skid, pins me against a wall, and yeah. my other mate Rob Hunt. Uh, he jumps on the bonnet of the car and he's firing the firing a gun through the through the uh, window at Tom. And I don't really want to give too much away here, but I mean a lot of it was done on a rig. But the, all the crashes were were for real. There was quite a bit of prep for that. Um, and when you actually watch it in the film, and it's two seconds of film, you know we were rehearsing it for weeks. Um, yeah, yeah, and and also there's but then there's all the the little insert shots as well where you're literally just bikes going past camera right going away from camera chasing going around corners doing little skids and all those things are literally like two or three seconds of film which just yeah. add to the energy of the of the whole sequence um but but you also um you also need to be able to repeat things as well so if do a crash do crash a bike you need to be able to get back up and if they say oh we missed it or didn't quite crash in the right place or it didn't quite look right can you go again you need to be able to get up and do it again and that's the difference between a stunt and an accident (laughs) you know anyone can crash a bike anyone can crash a car anyone can jump off a building but if you can't get up and do it again it's 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 a bit pointless and you've got to crash it in the right place because all those shots are blocked out you've got to hit your mark and everything else yeah, you talked on the stunt pod about the one in uh, Captain America, I think it was, where you you're on a bike and you yeah you sort of wipe out and then you hit the camera yourself. Like. Yeah, that 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 didn't go according to plan at all. <laughs> um, mm. But then you get these. Sometimes you get these like a happy accident, like you would get exactly. in in editing, like you get in shooting. Generally, you think actually that works better than what we originally yeah. intended. Yeah, I mean, I I, I had um I had a very weird weekend after that that stunt. Um, 
basically the, the, the stunt is, is known as a dead man where you're on a line, the line stops at a point, so you know you're going to get, you're going to stop at that point and hit the ground. And um, so the, in that scene, Captain America's riding his bike, he fires a line out between two trees. The first four riders duck underneath it, and I'm one of the last two riders. We hit the line and basically get clothes lined off the back of the bike. But of course, there's no line there because that would be dangerous. So what we what we're on, we're attached to a line, so we both stop at the same point. Um, and get pulled off the bikes and uh, my line snapped so I ended up doing what they call a gainer where uh, your feet come up and go over your head and so I was upside down I remember remember when it happened I, I thought to myself again because you mentioned muscle memory earlier I knew what a dead man feels like and I knew we'd again we'd rehearsed this stunt um, and I knew what it f- should feel like and I'm thinking this doesn't feel right next thing I know there's a whack on my head um, well, I don't really remember much after that. I, th- I thought I'd hit a tree, um, but it actually turned out I travelled about 20 or 30 feet and I'd hit a camera in a crash box. Yeah, and ended up in an ambulance and uh, yeah, had a very, very weird weekend. I was working on Johnny English, actually, that weekend, and but I, I don't remember much about it. But um, Well, so concussed and... Yeah, yeah, yeah that was, was quite a... Yeah, it didn't go right, but they did. They left it in the film, and it is actually in yeah. the film... It, um, is it the first Avenger, I think, isn't it? Yeah, you you actually cut the frame there, like so you fill the frame with your yeah, body, your, your yeah, part of your it. body, yeah. yeah, and then they cut to the next shot, that's yeah. it, yeah. which adds, as you said, adds, adds all that energy to to those shots, not intended and not ideal for you, but no. yeah. <laughs> Do you ever look at some of those big stunts in movies that you weren't involved in and think? Do you think like, oh, I wish I'd have done that, or do you think, Christ, I'm glad that wasn't me? <laughs> uh, usually the second one. <laughs> <laughs> but, but again, that, that, that's where that's where you're looking at it as a a one-off, uh, and you you haven't. Yeah, of course. You know, yeah. you've got to step back and go. It's like I was saying earlier. You don't just jump off a hundred-foot building on fire on day one. You you build up to it. You know. So um, yeah, and that that's that's the that's the movie magic, isn't it? Uh, it's, like I think there's a friend of mine, Kai Martin, actually double um, Matt Damon in. In Born Ultimatum as well, and he was the one who did the jump, you know, with the jump where he jumps off the roof and through the window. He did, he yeah. did that, and I looked at that and thought that was ballsy, and that, that you know that was a that was a good stunt. But there would have been a lot of prep for that. But still, I mean, he still had to do it, you know, and it was it yeah. was still still yeah. did it for real. Um, and and then of course the cameraman on that was another stunt guy, Diz uh, Diz Sharp, and he he uh, he rigged himself up so he could jump off the building with Kai and and get the shot following him through the window. I mean, it it, it was brilliant. Yeah, really really good job. Have you ever thought of going down that route, getting involved in the the sort of stunt camera side of things? Because your brother, that I should explain actually that the reason I've been able to get in touch with you is because your brother is a is a is a cameraman in the TV industry, and I've worked with him for many years. Has, has there ever been any temptation on your part to get involved in that side of things? Not really, no, no, there hasn't. Uh, but that that kind of makes it sound like I've got this massive ego and I'm desperate to be in front of camera, <laughs> but I'm really not at all. Mm, <laughs> I'm actually mm. quite a, a shy person. I'm not a I'm, I'm not an outgoing. I'm not extrovert at all. I'm, and and I actually get quite embarrassed when people ask me what I do for a living because I I'll, I'll say oh you know bit of health and safety. I do I work at work in TV and stuff, but. And, yeah, yeah. and inevitably the question comes what do you do then what do you do in tv and <laughs> yeah it always gets a little bit awkward but now i've never really i don't know there's 
I'd struggle, I think, with the, with all the buttons on the side of a camera, knowing what they all do. <laughs> so you got you'd, you'd have a good mentor in Ollie, you know, yeah, he'd yeah. give you a few pointers. Yeah, no, he'd, he'd, I mean, yeah, you know, it's an it's an easy job anyway, being a camera operator. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> don't tell him I said that. Yeah. <laughs> what has stunt performing taught you about the the craft of acting as as an observer? You know, has it given you a better appreciation of of what it is those those people do? Yes. Uh, it does because I, I have had a few small acting parts. I mean, literally like one mm. or two lines in in films. But it's it's totally different, and the pressure is pressure is immense when you're acting. And I've got a huge respect when a, when a, uh, a an A list actor steps onto set. There's without them saying anything. There's just a presence, and it, it's it's really it's quite interesting because I don't know. What what creates that? I I don't get it at all. Um, so no, I have got massive respect for 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 you know the for, for actors and and what they do. You know, a lot of people think it's just shouting or or you know they're just I don't know. Mm. But when when you actually try and do it yourself and then you see it back, you go, well, what what am I not doing that they are doing? It's it's quite um mm. yeah. It's, I have got massive respect for for actors. I like to say you know Matt Damon's my acting double. <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> You said in the the stunt pod he's a very down to earth guy as well. Mm. Though he has got that kind of presence that you just talked about, he he does seem somebody who's very sort of humble about it yeah. as well. At the same time, yeah, I jump at the chance to double him because he is he, he he listens to what you're saying, um, but he works very hard to to be the best that he can be as well. So he can do a lot of his own stuff. You know, a lot of the fight sequences he'll do himself, um, but he he's a he's a genuinely nice person. He's got no ego. Uh, he, yeah, he's just, he's just a really nice guy. Actually, really nice to, he's yeah. really friendly to be around. Very intelligent. Um, knows what he wants and knows knows how to how to do what he needs to do. But um, but but without being a an idiot about it. Yeah, yeah. I think there is a uh, a sort of tendency for people to go down that route. Now, I've been on a couple of movie sets over the years. I got invited to the set of uh, quite a crap film. It was Hercules. It was being shot out in uh, in Budapest, and it oh, starred yes. Dwayne Johnson. And he, it was the scene where the sort of typical battle scene where all the troops are lined up. So there's several hundred extras all with their shields and staffs and everything. And he's at the front, in, you know, in, in like his loincloth kind of, and his like bare skin on his head, sort of rallying the troops and stuff. And I must have watched him do six or eight takes of that. And he nailed it every single time. It was always another problem. Like there was a plane going over yeah. or there was a guy with a camera hiding in the bushes or one of the guys dropped their shields or something. And yeah, it is being able to act is an amazing skill, but being able to do it in such a sort of physical way that a lot of those action stars do is um, is incredible. And, and also you, you said about doing six or eight takes of something. That, that That's also quite a skill because when you you can deliver a line once and it kind of feels natural... But then to keep doing it and then take six, take seven, take eight, take 12, to still have the interest or to keep the interest there and to make it sound like yeah. you actually mean what you're saying, I think that's a real skill as well. Um, yeah, you know, well, some directors used to go down that route of like 50 takes to sort of you get back to that point where you've sort of forgotten everything and you've tried everything and then it becomes instinctive again. Yeah, I... Yeah. I um, I worked on Eyes Wide Shut years ago. Uh, it was, I was still still oh, doing you? extra work um, then, and uh, I actually 
I was standing outside at the tea table having a cup of tea and one of the ADs ran out and said, um, so Ben, uh, can I, let me see your hands. So I showed him my hands and said, yeah, perfect. Could you, can you come and stand in? So I ended up standing in for Tom Cruise on that job, really <laughs> randomly. Um, but but Stanley, of course, the film was directed by Stanley Kubrick mm. and he was one of those. We 50 or 60 takes was not unusual. Yeah. Um, and, and I think we were we were filming at High Clear Castle where they do Downton Abbey. We were filming there, um, and uh, we were meant to be there for two or three days, and we ended up being there for two or three weeks. It was it just went on and on and on. Uh, but yeah, he he would do multiple, you know, tens of takes rather than rather than two or three. Yeah. That's when you don't want to get a buyout in your contract. You want a daily rate. Yeah. <laughs> don't get me started on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it's happening industry wide at the moment. But the problem is, is we're all desperate for work at the moment, yeah. aren't we? That's the thing. It's um, it's been a diff- very difficult year for everyone. Um, a lot of the people that listen to my podcast um, are fans of those kinds of eighties movies. You know, Star Wars and Indiana mm. Jones. You actually uh, worked on one of the Star Wars films, didn't you? Tell me about that that yeah, experience I, of. Uh, I did. Uh, I've done a couple of them actually. I did. Did the Phantom Menace, which I think among Star Wars fans isn't isn't one of the favourites. <laughs> what did <laughs> you do I, on the Phantom? I, I was doing extra work on that, um, but I, I was on there for about probably about three three or four months on that in total. Yeah, that was good fun, but it was all blue screen stuff. So you'd find yourself running into the distance, but you'd run up to a blue screen and then just keep <laughs> running on the spot, and they they were just going to make you smaller and smaller, so it looked like you were <laughs> running into the distance. And, yeah, that was all it, up at Leavesden, wasn't it? Yeah, um, that that was I think one of the first things they did at Leavesden. Yeah. Um, yeah. After it just right. sort of, I think it was a Rolls Royce factory, wasn't it? They used to make That's the it. engines for the planes yeah. there. So you know, I think some of the runways are still there and stuff. But yeah, that was all leaves them. But that was good fun actually. I enjoyed that. Um, so were then, you fully costumed in all that stuff? Yeah, you? I was playing a what was I called? A foot soldier or something? Mm. They actually made an action figure of me. I've I've got it somewhere oh, really? in my shed. Yeah, there's a little action figure nice. of me. Um, yeah, they took me off for scanning and everything, and I had to yeah wearing the wearing this costume. Um, but yeah, I was in a couple. Well, there you of... go. You've got you've got a full retirement plan now. You can just go to all the sci-fi conventions, sign photographs, and well, posters, and do you, there you, you go. know what? It, it has actually crossed my mind because <laughs> mm. I know there are people yeah. who do it. Yeah, there are. Yeah, people absolutely. Who do it. Yeah. Um, but then I I worked on. No, this is going to sound really bad to Star Wars fans. I don't even know which one it was. It was filmed in. <laughs> I went out to Abu Dhabi and filmed some stuff out there for one of the newer ones, and I didn't do a lot on them. It was I was going in for like a, a week or two, uh, and I, I said to said to the, the the girl who was booking the um, the, the stunt people I asked, when I saw the stormtroopers, I said oh, I've got to be a stormtrooper, and uh, I was just about the right size to fit in the stormtrooper costume because they were all very exact heights. Everyone had to, I think it was yeah. five foot ten for stormtroopers, and I'm about five ten and a half. And they said, "Yeah, we'll squeeze you in." So I got into this stormtrooper costume. I was in it for five minutes. I said, "I do not want to wear this ever again." It was horrendous. <laughs> you couldn't move, and I mean, they'd, they'd made it soft. You know, the costume department had made it soft as they could so you could move but then you couldn't go for a wee you couldn't have a drink you couldn't eat anything um then you had to wear these secret cloaks so you you know everywhere you went no one could take pictures of you i mean everyone knows what a stormtrooper looks like but anyway (laughs) you have to go go down or go down but this is a new stormtrooper yeah yeah Yeah, that's it yeah god but uh, i've i've worn one of those costumes as well mate of mine used to own uh, like a replica one and i put it on once and 
yeah, within seconds you just think this yeah. is horrible, and yeah. especially those guys who did it in the original films where it was yeah. all like really stiff. That's it. Well, plastic. Well, yeah, one of the there's a there's a stunt guy Jim Dowdle who who is also he's he's the chairman of the the British Stunt Register, but he was one of the original stormtroopers, and he said the the costume was rock hard. You couldn't move in it. <laughs> it they're, they're horrible. Yeah, and then then if you've got to fall over, if you've got to take a reaction to being shot or whatever, you get more injuries from the costume than you do from actually the stunt. It's um, luckily things have changed now, and, and like I say, costume departments actually take um, take into account what, what stunt people have to do and pads right. that you might be wearing, and uh, yeah, so they'll they'll make allowances for that. Yeah, I yeah, I don't see that as an attractive proposition <laughs> being in a costume doing that sort of stuff. And I guess as soon as you put a helmet on, people kind of forget there's a human in there in, in some way you know yeah sort of as soon as you yeah. don't see a face you kind of yeah you, you don't think about letting them have a wee break no. <laughs> <laughs> what what do you think what kind of stunts will always need to be done physically do you think because obviously there is this um movement to sort of make things more cgi based and you know from a safety point of view i guess but then that's always tempered against the budget because they can cost a lot of money uh, do you think stunt performing is going to be something that's going to live on for a long time um i'd like to say yes uh, um and from from my own point of view I, I you watch some of the marvel films for example and you i just watch it and just think it's all cgi i i personally i love to see something done for real and you can tell yeah. when it's done for real but of course there's there's limitations i mean you know you can't you can't deliberately hurt someone just to get a stunt but um vfx is so good now uh and the cgi is so good that it, it is taking over more and more but it involves so many people and it is very expensive um so i mean i think sometimes fire jobs vfx sometimes with lighting and stuff you know if someone's on fire then 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 that could be something that would be uh better done for real um yeah difficult to say really because i mean like i say vfx can do so much now yeah i'd like to say that stunts got has got longevity but i'm not entirely sure that it has (laughs) yeah yeah i think you're right though i think you can tell whether something is is genuine or not and you know, as I said before, as good as some of this face replacement stuff is, I think there are some people who are a bit more discerning. I think I'm one of those people. I mean, I've been to films where there's been in, entirely CG characters and I come out of it going, oh, that didn't work, did it? And my mates are going, was there? Oh, yeah. Was that a CG character? And you think, how did you not see that? Yeah. Um, but I guess it's just trying to find the that fine line between sort of pleasing most of the people yeah. and making it I th- I think in terms of... Uh, as far as stunts go, I think what it's going to mean for the stunt industry is we're going to do much more stuff on green screen, um, and there's going to be much more sort of motion motion capture because you you still stunt people move very well, or, or they they should, um, and that's, that's why dancers actually make very good stunt people because they they're great with choreography and they they understand movement. Um, so you you still like a lot of video games. There's, uh, video games is a massive industry now, and um, of course all the all these men you see on uh, Call of Duty, all these video games, it's all stunt people generally who've been been in a film wearing a motion, motion capture suit, running around in front of a blue screen. So of course there's still a market there definitely for stunt people. Yeah, yeah. I was watching a thing about um, the new Star Wars TV show, The Mandalorian, where they've got these giant LED screens in a studio. <clears throat> that can kind of replicate 
any background you know they create in a in a computer game engine and then the camera can move and and see what it needs to see um but they're still doing physical stunts in there they're still got people on wires and and, you know fighting and all that kind of stuff so are you finding that work has been difficult this year with the with covid and everything uh yes i i I started a film in december last year so 2019 and then we went through until 13th of march and it was just when covid was kind of gripping the nation and and there'd been a few cases in the uk Um, and we got sent home and we were told we were going to go home for four weeks reassess and then be back at work um and it, uh, yeah, basically started a, a seven-month summer holiday for everyone, didn't it? Mm. We, we I started going back to work in uh, in August. I was meant to be going to Malta for uh, Jurassic, but that was also at a time when there was this fourteen-day quarantine period if you travelled abroad. But that was going to impact. I was only going to be there for four days, and that was going to mean that I was going to lose quite a bit of work when I came back. So I actually didn't go yeah. to Malta, um, and then. But Jurassic was one of the first things that went back, but it also meant that it kind of kick-started it for everyone else because then there was a, a system in place for everyone to get tested. Um, everyone was getting temperature checked every day, um, and and it, it, it's, uh, it, it kind of got everyone back to work. So in September, I was getting quite a bit of work, mainly on TV, TV stuff, actually, and a little bit on... Um, uh, I did a bit on Venom reshoots as well. Um, and then... Uh, I started back on the project that we got sent home from in March. I started back on that in mid mid October, but yeah, we're getting tested three times a week. Uh, so there's definitely different. There's definitely a lot of protocols in place now that we have to adhere to to make make sure that we can keep working. Yeah, it's the same with me for the Formula One stuff. You know, we're getting tested mm. a couple of times a week, and I mean that's finished for the season now. Not a pleasant experience at first, but you kind of get used to it after yeah. a while. It just becomes one of those things you need to do how does the you know the protocols that are in place now how does that affect what you do is it restrictive in any way in terms of the stunts you can pull off yeah not not in terms of what we can do but there's definitely different ways of doing things um so everything so we have so each member of cast has their own harnesses their own pads their own set of equipment but of course so of course that kind of increases our budget a little bit because where before yeah. we go Oh, let, let's borrow those knee pads for from that actor to give to this actor for this shot. Now everyone has to have their own own set of equipment. Everything has to be cleaned down at the end of the day. Um, we've got these thermal strike machines, which basically heat everything up to kill anything. So we put the harnesses, we put pads, helmets, anything like that that we use in these thermal strike machines at the end of the day. So that kills everything. Um, everything has to be cleaned down and wiped down. Uh, yeah, it's yeah that. It does put a bit more, um, a bit more work our way, if you like. But every department's the same, you know. Um, special effects are the same. Camera department's the same. Everyone has to stay two meters apart on set, which is difficult for us because obviously, if we're working with closely with cast or there's a, a fight scene or, or whatever, everyone people have to work closely together. Um, so that's where we have to, you know, we just have to make sure that everyone's been tested as much as they can be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wasn't leading to the Tom Cruise question, by the way. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we don't need to talk about that. Um, have there been any films or is there any sort of 
you said you're not much of a, a not huge movie buff, but you enjoy your movies, I'm sure. Yeah. Has there been any films that you would love to be involved with, you know, if they did a sequel to something or oh, a yeah. particular actor you'd love to work with? I, I mentioned Jim Dowdle earlier. He asked me this question uh, probably about 15 years ago. And, yeah, we, we, we touched on the, the cheesy stuff earlier, but Cannonball Run, anything like that, Smokey oh, and the Bandit, Convoy, <laughs> any of those old American films that involve yeah. lots of cars, lots of Trans Ams, lots of police cars crashing. I, I'd have jumped at the chance to work on anything like that. Yeah, really good. Because all that stuff was done for real, and you, you can see it yeah. was. Um, you know, whereas now we're... I, mean, I worked on Hobbs and Shaw a couple of years ago, and then, you know, when you watch that and you see the, the car hanging off the edge of the cliff, you think, yeah, it's all CGI. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, no, any of those old old 80s films, yeah, I'd have loved to have worked on them, anything like that. Yeah, it'd have been really good fun. I loved those films as a kid, Smoking the Bandit 1 and 2 and Cannibal Run and two, 1 yeah. and 2 were just on, like, rotation in, in my house. Yeah, me same, and my sister same would for watch me, those yeah. Constantly. And yeah. the Indiana Jones movies and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, it was... Uh, yeah, it was a great um, a great period. Um, are there any actors then you would like to sort of double for? Like, do you ever does that ever cross your mind, or or is is your likeness to Matt Damon sort of fix that in one spot for you? It, it, well, no, exactly. I think it has actually. Isn't I was never I I never never thought about who who I'd love to double or or anything. But actually, doubling Matt Damon for me has been perfect because he. he he he's a he's a really nice guy and he's a, he's a nice actor to nice actor to double and he does some good stuff as well you know um, uh, yeah I, I'd just like to say actually you know I'm not his main double um, when he works in the UK I tend to get the call but he has got plenty you know he's got a lot of other doubles as well but um, yeah but he's been he's been great to double yeah definitely I suppose as he gets older. Um... He'll, he'll probably need, you know, a stuntman that's, you know, significantly younger. Are you younger than him already? I guess no, you are, I'm, aren't you? I'm two years younger than him, I think. Um, yeah, right. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, let's be honest, I'm, I'm approaching 50. So there's, there's <laughs> limitations to what I can do. So uh, yeah. Yeah, Maybe he'll just do him himself from, from now on. He's in pretty good shape himself, isn't he? He is, yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask you actually. This, that's sort of the end. But I was going to ask you about you know what what projects are you working on and what's your next thing. But I guess often that's kind of secretive and you've signed NDAs and it, absolutely. I, I think I, I can mention what I'm working on, um, but I can't tell you anything about it. So uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm, uh, I mean it's no secret that that these films are happening. So um, um, but I'm actually working on Little Mermaid at the moment, which people go, what stunts are in Little Mermaid? <laughs> but of course you've got the whole. <laughs> You've, you've got people living underwater, so of course they're diving. They're all yeah. on they're all on wires. A lot of it, and it's all yeah, on right. blue screen. Yeah, okay. So and there's there's a massive amount of VFX in this as well, because obviously the mermaid from chest down is is fish. <laughs> so uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So you know, obviously we've got a, a VFX are very busy there. But you know, I'm working on Little Mermaid at the moment. My fam- I've got three girls, so I'll, I'll be definitely seeing yeah. that in whatever form, whether it's in the cinema or on Disney Plus. Because I was going to ask you actually about. We watched Mary Poppins Returns the oh, other yeah. day, and I guess when you're signed up for a gig like that, you think, "What am I gonna? Where's the, where are the stunts in that?" Yeah, well, I got called originally for that. Um, the, the stunt coordinator phoned me up and said, uh, "There's there's a whole sequence involving um, BMXs, so can you pull together thirty BMX riders? We'll do some auditions and uh, and, and we'll we'll choose some riders for that." So that's how I got involved with that, and then. Um, 
yeah, so we, we en- ended up with these 10 BMX guys who, I mean, they were fantastic. They're phenomenal what they could do on a bike. I mean, because BMXing is not something that there's a lot of on the stunt register. So we, we had to go off the stunt register and get specialists in for that. Um, but we had we had guys who were you know sponsored by well one of them was sponsored by Red Bull. There was guys who've got bike sponsors and yeah you know, they're all really good riders. But they've all got other jobs as well. You know they like ride for Deliveroo or they deliver pizzas or they're carpenters or whatever. So BMXing is a hobby for them. Um, but they 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 were a good bunch of lads actually. Yeah, I really enjoyed working on working with with them on that that film. But the the, the difficulty not the difficulty the the, the thing we had to learn to do on Mary Poppins was um, uh, working to music because of course everything was done to music which was um, and that goes back to me saying that how dancers make good stunt performers because they understand timings and things like that but these guys were were fantastic Um, and of course they're used to riding in skate parks with five six year olds on scooters and skateboards and all this and and they're, they're pulling off you know Double tail whips and backflips and all this sort of thing, but then they have to know they have to swerve at, a, at the last second to to avoid a six year old on a scooter. So, but they were brilliant, you know. Their, their timing was f- phenomenal. They were a really really good bunch of guys. Yeah, I really enjoyed working with them. Yeah, nice. It's it's interesting, sort of the different routes you go down with with stunts. One that wouldn't necessarily be expected with that. Yeah, that's cool. Interestingly, the, the people doing Little Mermaid, it's exactly the same crew that did Mary Poppins. So um, yeah, it's quite nice to, you know, you sort of understand their process of working. So yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's good fun. That's that's a nice thing, isn't it? When you end up working with the same team again, because you've got that kind of shorthand with each other, haven't you? And um, you've got past all of those initial difficulties, and you know which people are going to work and which maybe aren't so well. And yeah, no, it's uh, it makes for the job a lot more satisfying, doesn't it? Yeah, and you know, we we all work. Um, with different departments, um, and and often there can be a bit of abrasion between people. But my my feeling is, you know, we're all working towards the same end project. We all want it to be as good as it can be. So you know, it's, with everyone on Mary Poppins, there's none of that. It's all the all the departments are absolutely fantastic, and everyone wants to help each other out. And you're quite unfortunately, stunts don't have much they can offer other people. But quite often, we're the most demanding department because. You know, we're speaking to art department and construction about getting soft floors made, and then we're speaking to special effects about yeah. getting certain rigs made, and then we're speaking to costume. You know, because we we're going to need to cut up holes in their very expensive costumes for harness points and things like that. And um, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm very, I bet you're popular. Yeah, yeah, I'm very aware that we can be quite <laughs> quite demanding. So I, I always yeah, they come to, the bloody stunt. Yeah, oh, yeah. God, what do they want now? <laughs> we should say actually. Um, uh, so, You've got a website and you've got a YouTube channel. What should people look for if they want to have a look? Uh, yeah, my my company name is Rage Rage Stunts. Um, so the YouTube channel has only got about three videos on it, but they might be of interest to people. It's just me dicking around, really. You were mentioning NDAs earlier. Of course, I can't actually put a lot of stuff that I do at work on there, but uh, yeah, it's Rage Stunts. And yeah, there's an Instagram and YouTube and and all that sort of thing. So if anyone yeah wanted to have a look at, at, at what we what we do, then there's bits and pieces on there. Great. Thanks Thanks for your time, Ben. Really appreciate it. No and problem, uh, yeah, good luck with everything in the future. Yes, thank you very much. I 
hope you enjoyed my chat there with Ben. Next time, I'm hoping to speak to a guy who worked on many of the miniatures in some of the movies that we love, including Aliens, uh, True Lies, and more. Uh, Hopefully that will be the next episode. Thanks ever so much for your support this year. It's been a new endeavour for me, a bit out of my comfort zone. But thanks for all the feedback, whether you've done it on a review or you've sent me a message personally, or you've tweeted something, or Facebook, or something like that. It's been very, very gratefully received, and it does spur me on to keep doing it. And thanks to everyone who's helped me get these guests for these episodes, um, for this first year's run. Um, Next year, I'm hoping to have even more. I'm going to continue with this. I'm enjoying it, and I hope you are too. Wishing everybody a Merry Christmas, and a Happy 2021. Fingers crossed that it's a better one this time round. I know that viruses don't care about calendars, but we do. And yeah, I hope 2021 is is much better for everyone. Thanks again. I hope to see you soon.